0: If I could give this book to everybody that said, you know what, I wanna get sober. I wanna stop using drugs. It doesn't matter if it's alcohol or other drugs, this book will the, the success, uh the chances of success will go up if, if people use this book, if they read it and and use it and, and follow the the methods in there. Um and chem-free sobriety goes along with it really well because um, this is the first 90 days, but chem-free um, sobriety, you get 101 stories. You could read one a day. You right. know. So, I love that. Yeah. I love
1: that. So we know that if you, to, to develop a habit, it takes about 90 days for a behavior to become right. a habit, right? right? Also, we know that that's usually the time where you experience post-acute withdrawal symptoms, right? right? So that's yeah. the hard part of your recovery. First, you have this honeymoon effect everyone's happy you feel empowered then you hit the wall you start to experience this protracted withdrawal and everything seems difficult that's because your brain is healing your neurotransmitter hormones and your dopamine receptors are healing so if you could get through that point and you have a companion like god is in the attic then you increase your chances of success Suzanne Thistle began her recovery journey in 1987, which led her to become a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. Her professional addiction experience spans over 20 years, and she currently teaches about substance use and misuse at a local university. Her roles have included executive and clinical director of two agencies, a manager, and a therapist. While serving in these positions, she received the Legislative Advocacy Award for Addiction Professionals and the Treatment Agency of the Year Award, both from her peers. Suzanne enjoys being with family, traveling, hiking, relaxing on Newfound Lake during time off. Primary Areas of Expertise Suzanne is a licensed alcohol and drug counselor of 16 years and worked in prevention prior. Her road to recovery was not an easy one, laced with a traumatic childhood and emotional pain. During her entire recovery path, reading and studying addiction, attending therapy, getting an undergraduate degree in health education, wellness management, and a master's degree in counseling psychology with a substance abuse concentration gave her the ability to live life on life's terms. She thanks God every day for her life. Her dreams are coming true, and she can help others through her work and her professional and personal experience. Her first book, Chem Free Sobriety, was a book that highlights how to stay sober without addictive medication. It was on the Amazon new release bestseller in April and May of 2020. Her newest release of 2021 is God is in the Attic, an Alcohol and Drug Recovery Essentials for the First 90 Days. This book is a guide she wished was available when she got sober in 1987. It explains why important scheduling brings success, why we need to seek God first, how to balance emotions naturally. The reason why support groups are so important, nutritional healing for specific drugs and in general, how to honor your body, what professional help and case management needs are available, how to prevent relapse, why telling the truth is so essential, successful sleep methods, how to create sacred spaces and what to do after the 90 days. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, I'm really excited today to bring on Suzanne Thistle. I was attracted to her message when I looked at the title of her second book, her newest book, God is in the Attic. Um, It really struck a chord with me. I think it's a unique title, which gives us kind of an insight on how important God is to the attic and the role that God plays in recovery. And that's really important for me. And I'm really excited to bring her on. So with no further ado, let me bring Suzanne in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sober's Dope Podcast. Hello, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. I was just reading your bio um, and you came in right on time. First and foremost, for all the listeners, you're a drug counselor for 16 years you was in there. You also was a therapist. You, you wore a lot of hats. You've been in recovery for 34 years, right? 1987 mm-hmm. is sh- your sober year. You talk about having a traumatic childhood that was dealt with emotional pain. And we know in recovery, our childhood can lead to mental health issues and addiction later on. Right. right. Um, and you wrote two books. One is chem free sobriety. And that talks about how to get sober without medication and your newest book, which is in 2021, is "God Is in the Attic." So, I'm excited! Yes, I'm very excited. So, can you start off by just telling us a brief e- um, CNN version of your recovery journey and your childhood, and how that got you to where you are today? Love to.
0: Um- I started, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because uh, my next book is going to be for families. I may dedicate it to moms especially, um, but I was thinking about when I was 10, that's the first time I had my, my first drink was I, I was 10 years old and it was like, we split a beer between, I don't know, there was like four, six of us. I can't even remember all the faces. Um someone got it from their parents, uh, refrigerator and we just split it. And that was, a fr- but it didn't do anything for me. It was no big deal. It was, it was more about sneaking the drink <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that we were all excited about it. I didn't even, I don't even remember the taste of it. So, um, and that was it. And then, um, some things happened, and I don't, I don't disclose a lot of that, but some things happened where I needed to escape. And right. my parents got divorced when I was young. I, was, um, I think I was eight years old, and he moved up here to New Hampshire where I live now. And um, my mother stayed down on Cape Cod, and um, she had six kids, wow. <laughs> six of us by herself. Uh, Needless to say, there wasn't a lot of supervision going on. She couldn't watch all of us. She just didn't have it, you know. So that's when things started happening. And um, the first time I smoked pot, my brother got me uh, smoking. uh, But again, it was I didn't like it. And um, but it didn't really take on until some uh, traumatic things happened. And then I started to. Drink a lot. Right. I started to get a hold of alcohol, drink a lot, lie to my mother about where I was going and what I was doing. And um and then um my older brother and sister had already moved up to New Hampshire with my dad. And she called and said, I think you better take Susie is what they called me, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> so he came down, he said, I want if I'm coming down there, I'm taking The rest of them. And uh, my youngest sister didn't want to go. But me and my two other brothers went up and lived with him, which was probably a godsend because um, I didn't drink, didn't drink, Mm -hmm. didn't use for many years. Um, It was a big cultural shock. I was down living in a suburban kind of area to very rural New Hampshire, okay. and um, and the people didn't, you know, the people I went to school with didn't drink, and so I stopped. That's good. <laughs> and then when we went to high school, that was a different ball of wax. Um, people drank. People came from different towns to this one school in Plymouth, New Hampshire, and so um, I started to to drink and smoke pot and um, do other drugs and. I didn't know. Nobody talked to us about it. Nobody said this stuff is bad. Don't don't do it. (laughs) Right, right. Um, I may have heard something along the road. But um, and in the middle of my high school years, um, my my father got sober. My father uh, drank most of my early childhood, but then he got sober and uh, he had gone away for a month. And and so um, things changed when he got back. And he tried to get us to go to Alateen. He tried to get us to go to family counseling, but you know we were, that we were already off and running. You know, right, right. And so um, I drank and I drugged, but I, uh, I stopped when I was uh, twenty-four, and that's because um, I found out I was pregnant. Okay. Um, I had met a guy at a bar, got pregnant, married him a month later, had no idea who he was. I have a beautiful daughter who's 35 today, cool. but um, it was, uh, it was weird. <laughs> it was a very bad thing to happen to be with him. Cause I didn't even know him, you know? Right. And, um, and then, uh, but you know, I, I, the, the last night you know he was he was also a drug dealer so that kind of helped yeah. and um and i helped him deal and um and it just was a chaotic lifestyle and a, and the last time i used was march uh ninth, 1987 and um i had been up all night uh drinking smoking one cigarette after another right,
1: right. <laughs> i was doing the same thing
0: right and right. uh snorting one line after the other but the the sad part was my nose started bleeding and i kept doing it anyways wow i i didn't have a shut off button you know and uh the next morning I felt like crap. You know, I had a daughter. She was a baby and it was not good. And and um I was in the common in Plymouth the next morning feeling like I had no self-worth. And a friend of mine came up to me, and I just recently told her that she was the person that came up to me. Um, she had no idea. Um and she started telling me she was going to uh Narcotics Anonymous and um and asked me if I wanted to go and uh i said wow uh sure i'll i'll go you know and i i started to go i don't belong to that organization today i um i went there for a while and but i found another organization that um that seemed to have more long-term sobriety at the time. I know today they have really good sobriety in Narcotics Anonymous, but back then they were just kind of developing. Um, And so um, I started seeing people that were doing, uh, going places, doing things, all the things that I wanted to do but never could because I was wasted all the time. And and, uh, they told me if I wanted what they had, I had to do what they did. And right. so I started following some of what they, they told me they did. And, um, and I got involved in the 12 steps and um, that's where my life really changed. I, I actually went to therapy first. I went to therapy for three years um, to deal with some of this traumatic crap and, um, and then did the steps with a sponsor and, um, and eventually um, I, I started. I was extremely anxious, and I was—I uh, must have been depressed. I don't remember being depressed because I was so anxious, and I—I I was a go-go-go kind of person. Right, right. I mean, if you look at my life today, you'd never know it because my my husband today is—he's uh, a—he's in recovery too. He goes and goes and goes, and he's got a lot of energy. A major athletic guy when he was younger, and still very—he just hiked 400 miles on the Appalachian trail.
1: Wow. <laughs>
0: and I'm like, look at, I can't keep up with you. Um, but anyways, I, uh, so, you know, I did the steps, I did therapy, I um, hung out with a lot of, uh, and I still do with uh, like, I just went hiking with somebody in recovery today. That's where I love to be is wow. in recovery with people that know what I'm going through and understand my journey and, Um, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of church today. I don't do that. I, I, well, I shouldn't say that we, my husband said he wanted to go to church. So we've done some online church. Okay. Um, but I was very, very religious for many, many years and, um, really have changed to being extremely spiritual. Okay. And, um, and I learned how to do that through, um, other people and 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 i've always been a reader i've read 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 right. um, and continue to i read every day and um and just you know about how to be a human be a good human being and i'm not right. i'm not that great at it sometimes <laughs>
1: Yeah, because <me neither.
0: laughs> i'm imperfect but right um but i enjoy life today and um and i just keep doing what i was told i should be doing and uh, and it's working for me you know i
1: love that i love that so that's that's an amazing story i'm glad it sounds like you know between sponsorship the 12 steps therapy having uh really good people around you that you can model yourself after right to take wise instruction and mentorship that's so important um how did you get into drug counseling
0: well that's an interesting question <laughs> yeah. because um, when I was back around eight years old, I was writing poetry and oh, cool. we contacted Random House back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I don't even remember the conversation, but I know we contacted them, and somehow the, the there was a friend of mine. He wound up getting the, all our poems, and I don't know whatever happened to him. He's dead now, so I don't know. Um, but and and I wrote a, a book. Um a biography probably about 20 years ago and um sent it to Random House and they said we really like the title it was called From the Cape to Suzanne okay so yeah so i so i wrote that biography and they said to me we really like the title but you need to write some other stuff so people get to know who you are before we uh you know use it and uh, before we publish something for you because nobody knows who you are so that's it's not going to sell well so it's like okay yeah that makes sense so i'll write another book well that was 20 years ago right. and i just finished my first book a year ago right and just finished this this year so i'm hoping that uh a book i just sent them i'm hoping they take it on but I I realized, you know, because I've read a lot about how to write and um and the question you asked me was uh how did I become a counselor? Right. I went I was going to go on with the writing deal but <laughs> <laughs> um I went to school. What's really interesting, I went for my undergrad and I wanted to just get an associate's degree cuz I didn't think I could get any more than that you know right uh, i had started to go to uh college at a high school and i got in the way of my party and so we had to get rid of it.
1: <laughs> I, I did
0: really well i did really yes. well academically but so um but when i went to the career counselor place because i'm like i don't even know what i should go in you know correct and we talked and we talked and um, she said, well, we don't offer a, a associate's degree here. Why don't you just go for your bachelor's? I'm like, holy crap. I don't think I can do that. You know, I was nice. two years sober. No way. Um, but I did it. Right. It took me nine years to get my undergrad. Nice. Um, and then um, and I always wanted to write about addiction. That was my thing. I wanted to write about addiction. Right. Right. And so I said, nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to read my stuff unless I get a master's degree, because all the stuff I was reading, they either had a master's or a doctorate. So I was like, I got to get a master's degree in addiction somehow in order for people to read my stuff. So we have a program up here in New Hampshire, Antioch, New England graduate school, and um, they have an addiction program for counselors. Whatever. I'll just do that. Um, But when I did it, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know, I'll do this. And so, of course, doing that, I didn't write. I didn't have time, you know, and um, just kind of worked my way up the ladder. And and eventually I said, you know what? I'm taking the time to do this now because, you know, I'm at the age where I'm going to die and it'll never get done.
1: (laughs) Right, 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 right.
0: So that's how, that's how I got there. Long story, right?
1: I love it. No, it's a great story. And, um, and so you was doing your degree that you decided to do the drug counseling and then when, um, your, your book. So what inspired you after becoming a drug counselor and stuff to write Chem-Free Sobriety, which was your first book, which I love the concept of um, living a sober life without addictive medications. Um, What was the inspiration behind that?
0: I'll tell you, um, When I was um, running the last place I was at, I was running a um, Christian addiction center treatment center. And it's when the major opiate crisis hit and people were dying all over the place and we couldn't get them in anywhere. We didn't have beds here. We had a hundred beds in the whole state. And, um, And it was killing me. I'm like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? We had suboxone back then.
1: Okay.
0: um, But supposedly according to the doctors, we didn't have enough. So we need more. Well, we saw an increase. I was in a, in a uh, phone conversation, a zoom meeting with some folks and they said, does anybody know why there was an increase in overdoses at, it was October. I can't remember what year it was, but it was October. And um, I said, well, that's when they increased the suboxone. They increased Hmm. it from 100 to 275. So doctors could prescribe 275 instead of just 100. And that month that they did it, we had an increase in overdoses. Now, can I blame them? I don't know. I don't know that I don't know what's going on out there, but I do know that you do not need medication to get and stay sober. What they're telling people now is that, um, you know, if you if you overdose and you uh, if you if you stay sober a while or you stay clean or whatever you want to call it, right, right. for a while and then you pick up your tolerance level goes down. And so you use more and you wind up overdosing and dying. So right. that's why you need to be on suboxone, right? Well, if you listen to that theory, what that tells you is I got to be on suboxone for life. I can't come off it because if I come off it and then I use again, you know, correct, so that, there's not a lot of logic there, but uh, why I wrote the book was, because there was tons of money, millions and millions of dollars coming from the government for medication. So all of the contracts were going out. You can have this money if you if you give people medication. I'm like that this is not right. This is just not right. Why mm-hmm. aren't people who don't give medication at all getting these contracts? And um So I watched that for a while and I said, I can't be the only one that thinks this way. Mm. And so when I stopped working, I said, you know, God, just tell me what to do. What am I supposed to do? And it just kept coming to me. Write this book, write this book, write this book. And I'm like, "Okay, I'm doing it. I'm just doing it. And I drove all over New Hampshire. I didn't want people. There's 101 interviews in there. I didn't want people from one little section of New Hampshire. I wanted to make sure I had it all over New Hampshire. And I asked the question. First, I have them tell their story. Then I asked the question, um, what are your thoughts about medication? Most folks believe, well, if they need a bridge, fine. Some people don't believe in it at all because they know people who have um, used opiates um, in one way or another, have overdosed. There's one person in there that I think overdosed nine times on opiates. He was on methadone. He was on suboxone. None of it worked for him. He had to stop everything. Um, So I needed, I needed to have a large group of people. So, um, and most of the people in that book have over 10 years of sobriety. There's seven, I think that have uh, over 40 years. Um, So, and they're eclectic, you know, it's meth, amphetamines, there's alcohol, there's, um, heroin, there's, you know, uh, other drugs. So they, you know, what, what I believe is it doesn't matter what drug it is. It, you know, if you're addicted and it's taking you away from reality, then, um, you know, then then there's an issue <laughs> in right. most in both books. It talks about treating those underlying issues. I think everybody agrees with that. But I needed to make sure that I I was right in what I was saying. And so one hundred and one people agree, you know, that you can live alcohol and drug, other drug. You know, alcohol is a drug. Uh, you can live without alcohol or other drugs. Right. And live a clean. uh and that's, you're not supposed to say clean. Live a healthy life.
1: Oh, so that's new, right? You know, the clean is kind of like frowned upon now. Saying Right,
0: yeah. It. I didn't yeah. know
1: that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like- you're not I supposed said. to say you're an alcoholic. You're not supposed to yeah. say you're codependent. You're not supposed to say you're an ableist. Like, Just let people say what they want, will you?
1: Right, 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 right. <laughs> labels. Because when I introduce myself now, because I come from a traditional a um, alcoholic anonymous, 12 steps, right? So I don't drink anymore. I don't have a desire. So I, I always say, you know, I was, you know, instead of saying I am a proud alcoholic, I say I was an alcoholic and now I'm in recovery. I try to emphasize that. And I used to for many years to just say I'm a proud alcoholic, I have eight, year, you know, five years of sobriety, six years. But now by default, I think my consciousness just defaults and say I was, it's like, it it creates a separation. Like you're not an alcoholic anymore. Although you're prone to alcoholism. If you drink, you will go off to the races. We know that that's implied, but it's also, I think, healthy to make that distinction.
0: Right. Um, Right. And and in the second book, God is an addict. Um, God is in the attic. I talk about you know whether you're recovered or in recovery, you know right when people say yeah i'm in, I'm recovered, I don't have the obsession to drink anymore, so you know everybody's got their lingo.
1: <laughs> they have their lingo, right? I love that. I just did an episode talking about um. Surviving pharmaceutical abuse and um, from pharmaceutical drugs and stuff like that. And I was talking to my friend, Macaulay Sexton, and he said the same thing at the end. The episode wound up being two hours because right when we was ending, he said, I have to say something important. And he was talking about how he was able to get off of um, he was utilizing he was on opiates and he was also dealing with tranquilizers. I forgot the technical name of what he was using. It'll come back to me, but then he was saying that how, When he briefly was on methadone and he realized that it was a trap and it was like really a revolving door. And he was like he wanted to urge people very passionately that you could survive recovery without going on methadone or these other drugs like Suboxone Mm -hmm. and stuff. So I know it's hard and we're still trying to unravel all of the mess. They, They, you know, they got the Sackler family who had to, you know, for what they did. Um, and you have all of these people now who's addicts, and they usually, by default, go to heroin when they can't get the opiate prescriptions anymore, right? Then you have the, the whole pain management community that's like, well, what about us? We're still in pain, so it's difficult. It's difficult. It
0: is. It is. You're absolutely right.
1: So I have something. Um, you know, I know, I know you're doing a lot right now. So I'm, I want to go through like kind of like a bullet point questions based on your book god is in the attic which i think the um title is so beautiful and both the the first question is what inspired the title god is in the attic
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm getting overwhelmed um Oh my God, I haven't, I don't even know where this is coming from. This is wild. Oh, it's
1: okay. Uh, (laughs) Take take a breath. Take a breath. It's good. It's good.
0: Um, We're
1: we're in a safe space. We're in a safe space (laughs)
0: with the world.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. right.
0: Um, Because I know what it's like to be there and to not believe. I have not I've done a lot of podcasts. Right, right. I have not done this. <laughs> I've uh, not done this. Oh, it's okay. Um it's it's a oh my gosh. It's a devastating place to be, as you know.
1: Right, yes. Uh, it's very
0: worthless. Right. This is um it's a book of hope. Amen, amen, amen. I love that. It's one, it's the reason why I wrote it. uh, AA has a book called Living Sober. It's very similar to that. Right. But it's holistic. It's um, a whole health approach. My undergrad is health education, uh, wellness management. And uh, I teach in the health department at the college here. And... um, (laughs) I can't even believe I'm doing this. It's so good. It's good. Hey. <laughs> oh my god! So I wrote the book because I, I if people read this book, right. <laughs> I wish I had this book when I got sober, because it took me years to to know this stuff. You oh, know, right. And now somebody can pick up this little book. It's a teeny little book. It's only like I don't know. 92 pages, 90 pages, something like that, 90 90 pages, 91 pages. This little teeny book has the blueprint of what works in in the first 90 days.
1: In the first 90 days.
0: Yeah, I just love, don't you love the cover? I
1: love it. (laughs) I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. I love it. So beautiful. The guy, he's from uh, Indonesia. I this love guy, that. uh Kemp Free Sobriety, he's from the Philippines. Right. Um, but people need to know that um God is in them.
1: God ain't I, I'm with you. And whew, that, like, <laughs> that, that,
0: that,
1: I I feel I feel it because you know sometimes it's the way we phrase things that could really hit. And it makes sense. Like, yeah. you know, because we do feel dejected and worthless and broken and right. a- abandoned and, you know, and sometime that abandonment, if you could feel like God has abandoned you or you could feel so estranged from Faith in God and you feel so demoralized, and that you created so for me, it was like I did so much damage, I ruined this beautiful opportunity in life. There's no redemption. I can't imagine how I could come back from this. I screwed everything up. My mom right. is mad at me. I lost this person. No one's talking to me. I'm a I'm a loser. I lost. I failed. And then somewhere between all of that, you hear God is in the attic. And that God has not forsaken you and within you is God and that ability to be to transform is beautiful and it's hope. And um, so thank you. And it struck an emotional chord with me. <laughs> and that's because it's real. Right. It it's is real. real. It it's, real. Is real. So, it's a
0: simple, simple plan that works.
1: Right. Right. So. All right. So my next bullet point question is you mentioned scheduling and why scheduling is important. Can you briefly elaborate on that?
0: Yes. Um, I want to briefly elaborate because I want people to buy the book (laughs) Uh, because if we don't schedule our priorities, they don't often get done. And I know for me, like I didn't even talk the first year of sobriety at meetings that I went to. I was full of fear, full of anxiety. I had so much if I had a book like this when I was first sober, I wouldn't have the anxiety that I had. But it's really important to schedule your priorities. And what is the quote from um, I have a quote from Stephen Covey. The key is not to prioritize your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Uh,
1: I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. I like yeah. that a lot. So we have that. So um, there's this is something, this bullet point here stood out to me because I think this is baseline essential for recovery, how to honor your body. Mm. All right. Especially for people who may have been sexually abused, people who may have been in precarious situations. They feel like they're dirty. They feel like they, you know, they just it's this shame spiral in this cycle. So honoring your body for me was important because even now I have to think, like, what am I eating? Well, right. I have to be conscious of what I'm putting right. in my body. Right. how I'm treating it, my sleep and everything. So right. can you talk to us about that?
0: Yeah, so um, there was a study, I remember in my undergrad, there was a study about exercise. Um, Most of that chapter, and there's another chapter, I forget what it is, but uh, about health um, comes from a lot of the work that I did in my undergrad. And and I still carried with me into my other work because they go hand in hand, addiction, treatment, and uh, health, right? Right. but we need to take care of our bodies. And in there, it, it has just the simple necessities that you have to do. One of them especially is uh movement. And that study that I started mm-hmm. to talk about, there was a long-term study that said um, exercise has been proven to be as a, uh, effective for uh Uh, treating depression, if not more effective than uh, antidepressants.
1: Right. I heard. I'm familiar with that study. I'm familiar.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that because my friend Katie Bowman, she wrote the book, Move Your DNA and All Movement Matters. And that's so real. When you yes. get out, you move, right. It it has a way of, right. You know, helping with the, especially with your telomeres, they have that book, the telomeres effect and, you know, all these different things you could do to increase your life expectancy and also your lifespan. All right. Wow. So you have so much in the book and I don't want to give it all the way, <laughs> but I want to cover a few more tips before we wrap up. Um, you talk about sacred spaces, how to create a sacred space. I love that because you don't hear about that in recovery, right? But it's so important. Can you talk to us about that?
0: Yeah, I think it's really important to create a sacred space. And and I talk about all the senses and, and what are some ways to implement that into your sacred space, but you have to have a space of your own. And what's interesting, I've talked to a lot of mothers in recovery and um, been on some other podcasts, um, but... Um, it's so hard. It's so hard for them to just find time away from their kids, you know, like I right, used to right. like, hide in the closet away from my kids. You
1: know? right. Correct. I
0: think they have the har- They have the hardest time. But, you know, thank God for Zoom. A lot of people are finding out Zoom is great. You know, right. you can hold people into your life that way. But just having a place where it's really, really um, sacred to you, You know, not your kids, not your husband, not your boyfriend, you know, your space, even if it's a corner of the house. And in the book, it talks about um, what are some essential things to pull into that? You know, I love that with your recovery material and your prayers and, you know, all of that stuff.
1: I love that. So, you know. With moms, you see, that's how you find the influx of this so uh, um wine culture with the mothers and and yeah. it creates, so we have a big, in the community, is big sober moms everywhere popping up because they realize, hey, I have all of this anxiety, dealing with the family, dealing with life. And then I um, think, you know, there's nor- normalizing, just drinking all day, right? Making it seem fashionable, but it, it creates this addictive toxicity that, damages people, right? And then you see all of the sober moms speaking out, findings, and I think sacred spaces is a time not just to connect back with yourself, but it's like that wine culture is what they were looking for, just some alone time to right. to, 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 to really debrief and get yourself together. So I think that's important for anyone out there that's in recovery, find a way to, even if you're in a crowded house, how I find my sacred spaces. I walk in nature. I take walks. I find like you were talking about the hiking trails, nature trails the most. And we know now through science, they say that the brain loves space, right. Mm -hmm. And long walks. So, we know it's better to take walks than to run. So you get your exercise that way. And then you can practice mindfulness while you're on the walks, what helps with your mental health, reconnect with nature, get your vitamin D from the sunlight, and you can do it all together. So that's right. kind of like my thing. Um, so my last question is, why 90 days? You said about um, it the because- first 90 days.
0: Some programs, they'll say, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Correct. Correct. And the reason is because a lot of people are most likely to relapse in those 90 days. Correct. The the craving is excruciating. And um, so I wanted to make sure I focus solely on those folks. I wanted to talk to them. Here's Beautiful. what, here's, you know, if I could give this, uh, Priester, they kind of go together. Right. Um, and if you look at the covers on both of them, I am I am inspired by our mountains here in New Hampshire. Right. We have 700,000 um, acres of national forest. Wow. So I've been all over the world and, and I love it here more than anywhere. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I keep going and I just hey, don't. I love yeah, it. I love, I love I go it. on and on and on. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... Uh, I just if I could give this book to everybody that said, you know what, I want to get sober. I want to stop using drugs. It doesn't matter if it's alcohol or other drugs. This book will the the success. Uh, the chances of success will go up if, if people use this book, if they read it and and use it and, and follow the the methods in there. Um and chem-free sobriety goes along with it really well because um, this is the first 90 days, but chem-free um, sobriety, you get 101 stories, you could read one a day. You right. know, so, I love that. Yeah. I love
1: that. So we know that if you to, – to develop a habit – It takes about 90 days for a behavior to become a habit, right? Right. Also, we know that that's usually the time where you experience post-acute withdrawal symptoms, right? right? So that's the hard part of your recovery. First, you have this honeymoon effect. Everyone's happy. You feel empowered. Then you hit the wall. You start to experience this protracted withdrawal, and everything seems difficult. that's because your brain is healing right. your neurotransmitter hormones right. and your dopamine receptors are healing. so if you could get through that point and you have a companion like God is in the attic, then you increase your chances of success. I love it, I love it. <laughs> Suzanne, you are amazing. I'm glad to spend time with you today. I know you're doing a lot. So taking time out your day to sit with the Soap is Dope podcast is definitely um, a beautiful thing. You're going to help. Your message is going to help thousands of people. Um, before we go, can you tell any, everyone where they could find you, where they could find your books and any closing advice that you could give to the whole recovery community?
0: Yeah, um, the books you can find, uh, Chem Free Sobriety is all over the place. Actually, both of these books, I didn't mention this, both of these books, if you go to genesisce.org, you okay. can get CEUs by reading either one. Um, I can't, can't remember, I think Chem Free Sobriety, there's either uh, 12 or 15 credits and which is you know it's a big book, so there's more questions and then uh god God is in the addict is um i think there's twenty questions, and I don't remember how many uh c e u s you can get but uh so I wanted to make sure I said that but amazon amazon has both books uh free sobriety is ebook uh audiobook and paperback okay. Uh, God is in the attic is ebook and paperback and there will, and both books are involved in the, um, if you have the program that uh, KDP has, you can okay. read the pages for free. Um, and God is in the attic will be it's the audio has already been done as I'm just waiting for the review to be done. So that should be up soon. Beautiful. Um, free sobriety can be had at Amazon uh, Gibson, uh, and um, Barnes and Noble, I haven't talked to Barnes and Noble yet about God is in the attic, but I will uh, get to them and and uh, Gibson. so
1: I love that. Any closing advice or remarks you could give to the recovery community?
0: I, I just want to say that um, your future is spotless. You do not have to pick up a drink or a drug. There is a way out, and if if you if you can't afford to buy a book then um you know call somebody there are there are programs all over facebook all over instagram all you know there's online meetings everywhere all kinds of different kinds of meetings all you have to do is google there's tons of books out there about recovery mm-hmm. um you don't have to do it alone and you don't have to keep using no matter what you just don't it's not an option And you can find me at um, I I have a Facebook page, Suzanne Thistle, and I also have uh, a LinkedIn uh, profile um, and um, naturally period sober on Instagram i
1: love it i love it suzanne thistle i love your last name by the way it reminds me of milk thistle which is definitely promotes health and liver and sobriety so it's perfect um god bless you and thank you ladies and gentlemen you're listening to the sober is dope podcast i'm your host pop you cannon and that's a wrap with our amazing episode with suzanne thistle I love you all. Go in peace. God bless. And I will catch you on the other side and make sure you pick up those amazing books. Bye, everyone.